0: Welcome to episode 891 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to you. episode 891 of Iron Talk with coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. how you going mate? I'm pretty reasonable Bevan, pretty reasonable Just reasonable?
1: Yeah, well it was a pretty shitty sporting weekend for us Kiwis oh, but, um, It was a um, disaster, um, the
0: All Blacks lost, the, All Blacks the Warriors lost. lost, Adesanya lost the title
1: And we and our Man athletes didn't
0: perform particularly well Which was interesting because Braden was doing well, did he, the penalty didn't work penalty. We'll, we'll talk it? about that okay. later on okay, 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 don't get excited <laughs> Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by our patrons, let's go
1: John, I'm going to knock you out, Reardon. I'm going to knock you out. Good old Ryan
0: Ruthless Smith. And Gavin, the big brew duffy. (laughs) Big brew in this week. We've got news. Uh, Hot topic of the week. We've got age group. Age group is from Conan. Oh, not from Conan, from Nice. Well, you wrote Kona. Oh, no, yeah, I'm no. just reading what you wrote. Uh, we've got an interview.
1: We have. Um, we're talking with Amy Whitehead. She's a sports, uh, well, she's a psychologist who specializes in a lot of endurance sports, talking about a book she's co edited called The Myths
0: of Sport Coaching. I don't think we need you at coach's corner today. Okay. I think we're going to, I think we're going to, we can save that. You can use it for next week. Uh, we to go to the week questions and answers at the end. Well, there was a race on the weekend and it was a race that everyone was fascinated by. And I've got to say, I'm disappointed in I <laughs> um
1: firstly, I last week I was saying it was on Monday, New Zealand Times. Hopefully people didn't miss it because it was on Sunday. Well that's where I think I cocked up.
0: Yeah. No, I'm not like I'm not like when I say I've nine man, you'll understand why in a second. I, I, I didn't realize was on because I thought it was on Monday. And then Shawnee sends me this random text going, I I he sent me a text saying, I proposed to Steph on that spot and I'm thinking, what's he talking about? <laughs> and he goes, and I go, What do you mean? He goes, I mean we'll champs are on. I was like, oh no. So then I jumped on, but it was kinda like 10 minutes before my bedtime, so I kind of, I missed Mm. the swim, it was maybe about 90k into the bike ride, Um, so I'll get up in the morning, and it was over by the morning, (laughs) I haven't had time in the last two days, to watch the 10 hours, it's Mm. Tuesday morning, there's still no wrap up on YouTube, Mm. you know, like 15, 20 minute wrap up, and I'll get it done, because I've got the 70.3 from a week ago, Mm -hmm. but like, 101, Mm. you're promoting the sport, there should be a wrap up, like the PGO, it's near the next morning,
1: oh yeah, yeah, so like,
0: Come on, sharpen up.
1: Yeah, so I mean the whole live coverage was there, but yeah, to go and watch yeah, the show. No, but, but that's what you want. You want a, I, I would want a thirty minute highlight package, not, yeah. pr- not And pr- I would have five. watched it before
0: the show because mm. I admittedly I don't have a huge overview of the show because I I had, I have the I've read, I don't, didn't see much of it. But you know, I thought well I'll watch it I'll watch the review and I'll, you know, really get my depth from that and I'm looking right now, I've gone to YouTube and it's still not up. Mm.
1: Like, come is- on. That is disappointing. Come on, your However, to promote your sport. On the positive side, uh, I watched a big chunk of the coverage. So for us, it started 4:50 on Sunday afternoon. Um, I watched a reasonable amount on Sunday, and then I watched, I just sort of had it playing while I was while I was working yesterday, um, and managed to do that without knowing the result until. Just an email popped, I got Thomas to go into my room, my office, because he was uh, going to swimming, and I said, if there's any emails in there that's from Ironman saying who won Ironman, just delete those, so I could go on, and I got, I think I got to a Oh, so you
0: actually watched it without knowing the result? Yes, Okay.
1: Um, and that was frustrating, because then you couldn't watch the tracker, but um, he deleted any emails, and then about 10 minutes before the finish of the race, I saw an email come in that had it, and I was like, oh, well...
0: It's, was Kind, obvious kind of then. obvious by yeah. then.
1: Um, but to give them some compliments, they it looks like they did a really good job with the build-up show. I didn't watch any of that because I just started watching at the start of the swim. But that looks like they had like maybe an hour's of coverage with interviews and, and the build-up looked to me to be, be really good. I would have thought they could have saved quite a bit of the interviews that they did um, for actually during the race rather than actually putting them beforehand, just to pad some time as you as you're sort of going through in particular the bike rides. So I thought we'd just sort of go through the swim, bike and run, just some some observations I kind of made. Um, and a lot of you guys will have seen the coverage. You won't have seen the highlights. Um, the swim, beautiful scene. Well the whole course looked pretty amazing, didn't oh, it? Oh yeah. Just from yeah, from the vistas was just was just amazing. Yep and I haven't got any stats to back this up, this is just kind of what I saw, it seemed to me that the groups were smaller than what we've seen in Kona, and traditionally in the last few years, it, I get the feeling, we'd sometimes have one or two off the front, but then you have that big pack come in uh, and it would be just crazy at the start of the Queen K. It seemed to me that the groups were a lot more spread out. There was only around about 40 on the start list, I think, and that, which is a little bit smaller than Kona. Normally in Kona you've 50. got closer to 50, yeah. um, so I'm not quite sure why that particular was it seemed to me when they started the race that the gun didn't go off either that or the uh the starting gun someone was did john Newsom w- start yeah was 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 <laughs> really uh was really weak because you could hear them doing the national anthems and you could hear some of the background noise and then they kind of just went and I didn't hear anything. They must have heard about it because if awesome. everyone went or, yeah. or
0: someone did a John Newsome, they all followed. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, some people really got shut out after the swim, but that's not uncommon to what we compare to Kona. So Joe Skipper, for example, he was five, over five minutes behind, uh, probably about a minute further back than he had been. Um, but then you had other athletes, and this is again similar to Kona, like Arthur Horto, who was around about that sort of time gap back as well, and he managed to finish in sixth place. So I think the theme here is... If you have a crappy swim, you're pretty much out of the race for the win, typically. But you can still have a really good performance. But is that same as pre- Kona? Same, same with Kona? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But I would
0: have thought in this course, you've got a better chance. Yeah, because if you're a good cyclist, you have got to make that time up.
1: Yeah, and I so I had a point there. I, I would have thought at this race, the swim was less important. Yeah. So whilst Joe was a long way back, you're not missing those. You're missing the pace trains, but they're they're kind of they're they're still relevant. But not as much as Kona, nowhere near as much yeah. as Kona. So I think going forward, you know, if you have a shitty swim, no need to throw your toys out of the cot. If you have a shitty swim in Kona, you're up against it, and it's going to be a lot harder to get back in the game. Um, the bike ride, as a lot of people expected, was totally different to Kona, yeah. and you had just riders all over the place. There was still those groups, you know, there was that, that sort of group uh, initially that caught up to Frodo, and there was probably, I don't know, five to. Eight in that group but it wasn't that sort of pace line of sort of 16 to, to 20 athletes what so
0: about, what about St yeah. ride oh yes five minutes faster than worth Mm. with the rock star on the bike, Mm -hmm. you know, like, that was freakish, wasn't it? It it was, Um, and the hills
1: meant they could get away early, you know, often in Kona, those guys would struggle to get away, and it might be, you know, all the way out to Harvey before they really start to get away, but because of the hills early on, get away, get out of sight, uh, and it was a lot easier for them to to get away, and I put easier in brackets, you know, (laughs) Um, so... As Lalo said, um, and I think post-race, so they had a press conference afterwards, and it sounded like there was some pretty heated discussion before the race in the pro conference around the, the centre line and, and having the ability oh, to, to stay. To the,
0: uh, passing when you go downhill.
1: Passing and, and descending. Um, and so it was actually the guy asking the question was the same guy who was doing the commentary for the PTO race, that guy Jack. And he sort of said, you know, what did, what did you sort of think about that? And he said it was really tricky in places to, to stay on the... Uh, you know, not cross the, the centre line.
0: Why, why wouldn't you do that on a descent? Because on the Tour, I can't imagine. Like, we think Tour de France. They go across the road, don't they?
1: they they're all across the road, but that road is 100% closed. Like, the, the Tour de France, there's no cars getting through that. That is for oh, sure. but surely
0: World Championship and Ironman's closed.
1: Uh, well, as close as you can make it in a residential area. If someone's going to come out of the driveway... Um, They're gonna come out of the 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 driveway. It's a safety thing. I've I've got no issue with it. And it's part of the skill of of racing, is is staying on that that side. But it would have been very, very difficult for them.
0: How steep were the descents? Uh
1: they would have been high they were high speed. They were fanging it on some of the coverage I saw. They were absolutely fanging it. Um so the course made it a lot harder, as you guys would have seen, to to cover the race. Um just because you know you're constantly going around corners and the groups were, were smaller and you couldn't get the the wider sort of scenic shots of seeing the whole group so i found the bike um whilst it was beautiful
0: was as a, as a competition aspect it wasn't yeah to, to, to
1: watch it it was a bit harder to know what was going on yeah um and it was there was it wasn't all ones and twos but yeah there was definitely quite a few groups so i found the bike quite hard to to follow uh i really were they doing a good job
0: of informing you
1: not really. Okay. I mean, and I'm not going to be critical of the commentators. I know some people don't like them, but they are literally just seeing what we're seeing. Yeah. It's so blatantly obvious that they haven't got any other information, yeah. uh, which is really frustrating. I don't know why they can't just put the timing mats like, at 10-kilometre intervals. Yeah. You have one at like 15, you have one at 34, one at 54. I'm like, it's really not that hard. And not that expensive. And we, So then we, you're sitting there and you're going, when's the next timing split coming up? Well, when's it coming? And then it's just random when it came up. So that I found that pretty frustrating. It's, uh, I run events. It's not that hard to put a timing mat every 10 kilometres when you've got the budget to do it. I wouldn't do it at my events because they haven't got the budget. Yeah. If you've got it, piece of cake. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the, the other disappointing thing it was it was stock standard Ironman coverage. It would have been so easy for them to, f- to have somebody in the background giving the commentators a bit more content. And what I would have loved to have seen is yeah, you get people going across the timing nets and you see the splits. But what I want to know is how that differential is changing all the time. Okay, so Sam Laidlow, he's now two minutes 30 in front. Last split, he was one minute 15 behind, and, and then going fredino yeah. is now four minutes behind xyz is four minutes that's changed 30 seconds there was so much more they could do rather than just having the commentators talk the whole time which they they can just they can talk those two. oh you have to you have to because and, and you're feeling
0: you don't want silence yeah and that's so their job. yeah
1: i just think there's so much more they could be doing and to help them do a better job yeah um for those that haven't didn't watch all the coverage it was interesting fredino dropped a bottle relatively early in the bike course uh, and those guys have got all their nutrition in bottles, so when you drop one, you're in the, the shit.
0: Now, special needs, surely you have a backup?
1: Yeah, and he's a Morton-sponsored athlete, so it's a Morton race, so he could pick it up on the course, but yeah. he may have had some special formulation in that. And Freddie Van Laird made a good comment. He was in the commentary team saying he, it came off when he went over a um, speed bump, and there an art to going over those sort of things and, and not losing your bottles. you sort of got to just position your weight a little bit, so I think it was... Um, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it was it was also partly an error on his on his part. There was definitely a few penalties out there. The only ones I heard about, and there may well have been more, was uh, Braden Curry got one for um, intentionally littering. That that, that was the, the call, um, and also this is the hard one, isn't it? It, it is because no one
0: intentionally litters. You know, he probably tried to put in his back pocket and it slipped out. Yeah, well, I didn't didn't see it, see it. So we didn't, no, one, you, you know, you can't imagine he went like that and threw it to the side. He
1: may have done, uh, and that's what you'd get it for. Because yeah. Frodo wouldn't didn't get one for his bottle flying out because he didn't do that intentionally. Yeah. Also, one of the high profile ones was uh, uh, Weiss Bradley Weiss. He got one for drafting, and they did they didn't show when he got it but they showed his frustration at the, at the tent and he was one of my picks and he was disadvantaged by that he was uh really looking like he was going to be in the mix there was probably quite a few other penalties we didn't hear about uh yeah lots of athletes were shut out of the podium on the bike you know coming off the bike the podium you wouldn't say it was set but it was, didn't really change very much other than Langer coming through yeah. which was expected um, on the run um, four athletes went sub 2 hour 40 when we look at the splits um, we didn't get that sub 2 hour 30 that we might have thought Langer 2.32 might. is not bad but is it 2.32 smoking it. Yeah. he looked Patrick Langer what looked beautiful amazing. technique oh
0: yeah like you want to show someone good running technique you just put him on yeah and he looks so relaxed
1: he was smoking it. Uh, it, it but he did what most people expected you said a lot of people said if you have even got a 10 minute lead on Patrick Langer you're probably in trouble, and that's basically what happened. Yeah. Everyone got run down by Patrick Langer except one person who put in an, an exceptional performance, and he had more than 10 minutes. Had it been 10 minutes, uh, it would have been pretty close, very, very close yeah. because Lalo ran a 2.41.46. And,
0: and, and, and what while we talk about that, Laylo's is a complete triathlete performance. And hmm. in the, in the, basically in the front pack of the swim, um, basically... Fi- Dominating the bike, yeah, absolutely dominant. when you are putting five minutes on Cameron Worth, yeah, you know, and then everyone else is in the 40s, basically 10 minutes ahead of everyone else in the bike, and then runs a the 241,
1: which is you know, there's a few guys under 240, and but most of them are only just under 240 uh, compared to except for Patrick Langer, who is 232. So, yeah, um,
0: there's actually only one guy under 240 other than Patrick Langer.
1: Oh, there's a couple, no, there's four guys under 240. It would have been nice as usual to see some of the battles uh, a little bit further down the pack. It looked like a really good battle for 7th for through 9th. Um, so Bradley Weiss ended up in 7th with an 8.20.54. It was only 20 seconds back to Gregory Barnaby and then only another 8 seconds back to Robert Clo uh, Wiki. So that would have been really cool to to see that sort of unfold. Would have been really difficult to follow because the the multi lap course age groupers were getting mixed up. It w- yeah, it was wouldn't have been easy. But I think if the PTO were, were there, maybe they would have done a better job uh, sort of covering that. How
0: many? How far was the distance of the lap? It was four laps of ten k's. Do, um, do you have a pro lap in an age group lap?
1: I didn't like it. Um, because, you know what I mean? like Because yeah. if it's
0: only 10Ks, it's five mm. out and the back, mm. you could almost have a an age group lap. Mm. And I know the age group is saying, well, I wouldn't have been the same rest as the pros, but it, as a spit I quote, again, I haven't seen it, but I imagine it was pretty messy.
1: Yeah, it, it certainly got messy. And for the pros, you know, they were having to do some navigation. You know, we see it at a lot of other Ironmans, but at the Ironman World Champs don't really want to see that no. sort of going on. So I did not like that aspect. I like the aspect of a four lap run. Yeah, but, but maybe,
0: maybe, maybe there is a, a in the future the, an option of having two la- two runs, an age group run. Because mm. again, it's ten k, you five k out and back, you make it work pretty. Even if it's a narrow five k for the pros.
1: Yeah, yeah. Don't, this one because there's
0: only forty pros on a ten k field. Mm. They're not going to be. they not going in each other's way. Yeah,
1: Ladlow looked fantastic all day. Didn't crack. Um, it was just awesome, and the the crowds were, were really good, and and the athletes were saying the crowds were fantastic around the sort of start finish area, but but weaker further out. But they said that part was was awesome. Um, post race, uh, they do have the post race press conference on online. If you guys want to hear a bit more from the athletes, we haven't got any interviews today, um, mainly because just the timing wasn't going to work. People are probably still out partying by the time we're recording this (laughs) because it's uh, Monday night afterwards, so we would have had the prize giving and so on. I do really like Paul Kay. He sort of does the... Uh, the finish line stuff He's sort of the new Mike Riley South African guy If you guys yeah. haven't heard him before He's uh, a bit of a pro isn't he And he and then he does He did the post-race press conference He was great He asked some really good questions So a few things on Sam Laidlow Is the youngest athlete To ever 24. win the world champs Yeah uh, First French athlete To win the world champs Which is crazy really isn't it it is, considering how strong they are at as short a course.
0: And as a triathlon nation. Oh, massive. Yeah. Mm. You know, to think that we've been doing the sport for what, 40 years now, mm. um, to think this is the first time a French man, has a French female ever won? Uh,
1: no. I think they've performed even worse on the female side of it. Uh, the Mouton females, a, a woman that used to be up there in the sort of 90s. I can't recall any other Frenchies. I mean, somebody can pull me up on that, but um, I don't recall any off the top of my yeah, it's head. it's interesting, isn't it? But they do very well at short course again. Yeah, uh, so you think
0: someone years. would have transitioned?
1: Yeah. 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 Other things on Lalo, this is his first Iron Man win. Um, oh, really? And he has won... An iron distance race. He won the Lakesman um, a few years back. Um, <clears throat> Matt, good old Matt uh, Double Brown, told me about that yesterday. So uh, yeah, first iron man win and first race of significance over that distance that he's won. So that was pretty cool. Um, one question I sort of posed to myself was, would we have seen the same sort of results in Kona that we got here? And I reckon the top three probably would have been the same. Yeah, you know, the one. Well, Do diff- well, you
0: don't reckon Virginia would have done better?
1: Uh, oh, if you were it, picking him. Yeah, no. I don't. Uh, judging by how he went here, no, I don't think he would have done any better. What? What happened? Uh, he just looked like he was. I think an injury sort of flared up. I haven't actually oh, seen okay. any posts on what happened. He was he was there or thereabouts at the beginning, and you're thinking, "Yeah, this is game on." He's came out of
0: swim. He's got right the front of the swim. Oh front yeah, it, wasn't right at the yeah. front.
1: Yep. Um. But yeah, he just didn't didn't have it. It's 42, and it was just one bridge too far for him. Yep. So which makes it even cooler that he won that USPTO race a little while ago yeah. because that was his swan song. So you know, I'm thinking, would this result have been any different? And you think Patrick Langer if he he, potentially if he'd had a bit more company on the bike maybe he'd be a little bit closer don't know but i i kind of reckon that the top three would have been the same um fourth through tenth might have changed a little bit Well,
0: you said earlier that the runners aren't really in this game so much because the bike's so much harder Mm. surely we'd see a few more runners up there
1: i would have thought someone like a joe skipper who's more of a pure time trialist if he would had a good day um potentially could have been there and there um yeah, maybe the likes of Braden Curry might have done a little bit better. What happened, he, Braden? Uh, so he got a penalty, and then he because he was of, like fifth
0: on the bike for a long time, wasn't he? He, he was being
1: very aggressive uh, on the swim and the bike, uh, and I was worried he was going to blow us, uh, blow us, blow <laughs> you himself can't say up. Can't load, can you? <laughs> and <laughs> and, uh, and it, yeah, I just saw a post before we started recording. He just sounded like he lost motivation after um, getting a penalty. He was uh, in, in the race to win, yep. and when that got blown out then uh, yeah, because he could have still easily got on got in the top 10 bradley vice had a five minute penalty as well and he finished in seventh place so well if he'd
0: gone 20 minutes faster he would have got you know which is you know 240 uh, is realistic for him and he did like a nearly a three hour run mm-hmm. uh he would have been in sixth place
1: yeah so, so um so i reckon we would have got a pretty similar result with those top three um and then one other thing that really did impress me was um, Patrick Langer acquitted himself really well, I thought. I think, as I said, he's a really underrated athlete. Oh, by you? By me and by a lot of people. And you kind of, a lot of people go, oh, he's just a one-trick pony, you know, he's one cone or twice – I was looking through his record this morning, and it's bloody impressive. Uh, so, so far this year, finished second at Nice, finished second in Rote, and an amazing time. He did seven hours 30 in Rote, running yeah. at 2.30. Um, when you look at the previous year, yeah, he only got 10th in Kona, didn't have a great race, won Ironman Israel in 7.41, also got second in Rote in 7.40. The year before, he won Rote, he won Ironman Tulsa, um, and then had a, COVID year, 2019 was a shocker, he had a shitter. When you look back at 2018, he podiumed every race he uh, he entered and, and won, the World then won Hawaii. The year before that, he won Hawaii. The year before that was his first year he was doing Iron Distance Racing. He won Ironman Texas and then went on to get third in Hawaii. So when you go through his record, you go... I reckon I shouldn't have been as harsh on this dude in the past. Yeah. It's bloody impressive. Just the way he crossed the finish line, he made it more about Sam Lalo than he did about his performance. Nice. And he consistently said that I just thought he acquitted himself extremely well. And when you look back at his record, you go, yeah, you're not Jan Fredino winning a gazillion every race you do, but holy shit, there's some really good performances in there outside of I'm way. away. uh Yeah, I think I picked him to get second or third. Uh, Didn't pick Laidlow. Kind of didn't really know what was going to happen with him. But you knew if he did a performance like he did in Kona last year, he was going to be very close
0: to winning. And that's what he did. Who was the disappointment? So Fredino.
1: Fredino, yeah, that was disappointing. But But that was was a
0: flip of a coin, wasn't it? He was either there or he wasn't. Mm.
1: And he seemed to really enjoy himself. It was kind of nice. He just went out and cruised on the run and still ran like a three-hour marathon when he was stopping and cheering people on and stuff and cuddling people. I'm like, far out, man.
0: You so know, it's, it's, is it official he's gone? Is that yeah, like, I it, think is
1: his last race. Definitely. Is, I mean, he might do a, a showcase somewhere, yeah. but yeah, I think he is definitely oh, done. Oh, what a legend for the sport. Uh, so yeah, I thought all in all, my sort of reactions to the race was, it's so cool to see the pros being tested in a different way to the stock standard So you and are, stuff.
0: at the end of the day, you think it's great that we've split the races?
1: It's great that we've split the races. I don't like, I would have liked the females to be there as well. I think that just doesn't sit right for me. Um, age group is a different story. I think we've got a little bit of age group feedback and that's a little bit mixed. Um, I just think it's really cool to have a different venue. It's got to be what we're going to do to advance the sport. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's not Kona, and I think... If you said, Sam Lalo, would you rather one won Nice or Kona? He's going to say Kona every day of the week. But that'll take some time to evolve. Uh, so I thought it was it was fantastic. Um, yeah, the coverage. Yeah, I wonder, whatever, I
0: wonder if Sam does say that. Guaranteed. he
1: still, uh, oh, still a champ. Oh, you still will champ. But if you said, would you have rather one have won Kona? Yep. What do you reckon is a harder race? Uh, depends on the athlete makeup quite a lot, I reckon. Yeah, true. Um, but I think this just rewards the, it's not so stupidly hard on the bike it's enough. It's a, it's definitely enough. But he was the best triathlete out there. Oh, yeah, as we said before, look at his times. Yeah. You know, so that's that's kind of cool to see to that. Do
0: it, to do the bike he did and then run a 241, mm. like, impressive stuff. Okay, so we jumped on Facebook and we put a post up just saying, uh, who was racing, what was your feedback? And we did get some mixed reviews. So I'll go through uh, Neil uh, uh He's got here very... Poor experience. Boys not straight in the swim, hairpins not signaled on the bike, no bike catches, welcome keep was, uh, ban, ban, how to say the word? Um, welcome function it was terrible for 65,000 or oh, 65 euro. Aid stations running out of stuff, organization poor across points. Uh, Kona is Kona, this was a poor imitation, so he was not happy.
1: Yeah, and I, I think. Yep, I'm just
0: going to, I wasn't there, so I don't know.
1: Yep. Uh, one, one comments. Roberto Bracis says, uh, my buddy came second in the age group, beaten by f- effing Vinokurov, who used to be a pro cyclist who got busted for drugs. Mm. Uh, surely that counts as a win. Yes, I'm going to talk about that later on.
0: Brian Hardy, he's got a quite long one here, but I'll read it. It was a great experience, last wave in the swim to go, and they seemed to have pushed the markers back as the outgoing tide had allowed them to drift a bit. No wet was good, plenty of space, but also crowded in areas, if that's your thing. T1 was bloody long. I had to be 800 metres or close, but well organised and supported. Bike was what I expected. TT versus road, I think came down to the rider. I passed plenty of road bikes, both up and down. Equally was passed by both on both. Uh, TT was fine climbing, but I'd choose different cassettes next time. The flats and rollers along the top were actually quite punchy, but the wind was blowing once I was up there. The aid stations were well stocked and supported. The downhill was amazing. No issues on the TT with speed or holding a line. However, it is clear that there were people who had never descended before. That's a problem. <laughs> uh, you have to get away from them as it was too dangerous. Like 30 k's per hour um, to PMH. Oh, that's in Christchurch, eh? Yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, Including manholes, jutter bars, and everything else. Definitely not a uh, downhill cruise. A lot of on and off the pedals, out of the corners, and requires 100% focus. The run was good. Eight stations were depleted of ice early on. Latest I've been on uh, a course, and it was quite surprising how chaotic they became as there was less runners, more people packed up and uh, handing out. Uh, once dark, the turnaround at, at the turnaround at 3K was quiet, and there were no lights at the airport stretch. No roving medics to be seen and a number of people requiring assistance. Volunteers on the crossings, but they seem to have switched off as there weren't as many people around. Thought they would have had medics revolving around on bikes at that time. Overall, great day, and I'm sure they'll take a lot learn a lot from it. Although given the annual race, they should have had a lot more sorted out. Kona is Kona, but I'm sure this will get better as it cements itself as the biannual world championship for most age groupers. Uh, choosing to take slots rather than digging the hills in. Glad I didn't get extra tickets for the um, the function, as it wasn't great. Expected more overall given the amount paid for the entry at the function, run aid stations, and post-race recovery. In a country that has great gelato um, and pastries, they had neither. <laughs> Fair enough. So I think he's saying fundamentally good first-year experience, but definitely things to work on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um- Anthony Heaton Jones says I was there competing, it was great, very busy in the swim and the washing machine was full spin due to the deep water start. Don't know if that's that different to Kona these days with the wave starts. Um, it slowed down a lot on the long stretches. Um, ramped up again at the Turn Boys. People were a lot slower due to non-wetsuit. T1 was very long. Oh, when we were when I was watching the coverage in the pros, I was thinking, "Shit, that's a long run to their bikes. A lot longer than what we uh, are kind of used to." Uh, what else did he sort of say here? See, he the bike was fabulous. I had to descend on. Um, I decided on my road bike. It was two. It was two and a half kilograms less than my. TT and boy did it pay off, um, overtook so many on the, of the TT'ers on the first section on the hills as they f- struggled to find low gears enough and they were crawling up the hills. There would have been times when it was useful um, for sure but uh, it certainly paid off when he was going over the big climbs. Um, he also sort of said uh, people on TT bikes were nervous due to handling, not me, I powered uh, all the way down and loved every minute, yes it was hot but a breeze kept you cool Again, T2 was long and uneventful, really, whilst the run was well supported, especially at the finish end of the loop, and uh, the far end was really quiet. The music was, was out and about in places. Um, so yeah, he was he thought it was, was
0: pretty good. Kenneth Henley's got swim was really nice. Clear water, um, non one went through and spread out enough to find clear water if you wanted to, but busy enough to get the World Championship wash-up and machine all the same. Bike, as expected, was beautiful. A shitload of climbing, but the views were spectacular spectacular. Far too many bikes on the course, unfortunately, but that's the norm nowadays. The were safe if you were cautious and concentrating. Uh, I run old school rim brakes and had no issues. Unfortunately, there were some very nasty looking accidents, which we haven't heard a lot of. Uh, run was well supported with plenty of aid stations to make what could have been a pretty boring 4 lap course actually quite fun. Uh, you only need to look to the cold... De- a a uh, to enjoy the views and get through the tough moments. Very worthy World Championship course.
1: Yeah, so mixed feedback here. Sounds like <clears throat> swim, bit of a washing machine. I think that's sort of um, part of the cause these days. Bike, you're gonna have some mediocre handling out there by some people who spend most of their time on Zwift. Is that, sh- that would give me the shits. Yeah, <clears throat> especially in that
0: big part of the field.
1: When I'm descending, you know, I'm, I'd like to think I'm a pretty decent descender. And when you're going fast, and if you're having to pass people who have got no skills, you're gonna be going across the center line. You don't, won't have a choice. You either crash into the back of them if they're riding to the left, or you've got go to go the center line. So I imagine that was a real issue out there. Um, yeah, I mean it's just the Ironman way putting so many people on a course, and um and the run, yeah, you know, four four lap run kind of as as expected. It never never sounds good when they run out of things at aid stations, but I'm sure that happens at most Ironmans as well. That's not saying it's uh it's a thing that should happen. It must be hard to keep the energy levels up for aid station personnel who are out there for hours and hours and hours. Yeah. Um, but they should have a you know swap a shift out. Shouldn't really run out of ice. Um and it sounds like yeah the function was um yeah the food was was a little bit average at the function but for me not that i was there it, it as a race that i definitely want to go and do it just looks iconic and it's just such a cool bike course and um yeah
0: so just just so you know there was eight no sorry 1998 finishes mm-hmm. uh and what will the women's race look like next week
1: Yeah, I don't. I'm a little bit worried about what the women's race will look like there next year. This year at Kona is going to be really interesting to see how many numbers they actually have um, on the start list, and I would imagine at Nice that that will go down uh, somewhat. So I'm just going to be really interested to see what sort of vibe it is in Kona, isn't it? Mm, mm.
2: But Uh, do you you think?
1: And there's not a sexist comment or anything like that. It's like the stats say at most races we've got significantly less females. Often. You know, it's as, it can be as low as twenty five percent females, seventy five percent males, in some races, especially in Europe. A lot of the other ones it's a bit higher, but it's never 50-50. What's your for prediction for Kona race in terms of numbers? Uh,
0: yeah, we'll say total field because there's only not many pros. Uh,
1: I'm going twelve hundred. Okay. Mm. Okay. I'll that's say 1, that's 1, a guess. That's, I've got no, nothing to back that up. But that's a guess, and I would think. And traditionally, get,
0: they have two and a half thousand, wouldn't they?
1: Um,
0: total or athletes. Total, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when they don't do, do the two day. Now that's kind of cool in some ways because the mates. Are, look, what I always felt because New Zealand when I was doing it was about that, wasn't it? It was mm-hmm. about twelve, and that's a good size field. Yeah, perfect not, size field.
1: Yeah, you're not going to be sitting there moaning about drafting, massive drafting. Yeah. you will hopefully be able to find some, especially on space Kona, in
0: this one, the one lap course.
1: The, the downside will be there's going to be less people spectating on the side of the roads because you know, it's often partners and things like that. So I, I'm I'm hopeful, but I'm also slightly worried. Okay, now well, we, we probably should just mention the, the actual results. Uh, oh yeah. So we had. You wouldn't have picked that top team but would you? No, the top three you would have picked. Yeah. Um, most A lot of people had Ditlev and Langer in there, Sam Laidlow. So Sam Laidlow was first, Patrick Langer second, Magnus Ditlev third, Rudy Van Von Berg was better than expected for me, he got fourth, Leon Chevalier has been a uh, sort of pretty consistent performer, so not too much of a surprise there, Arthur Housseau who's a training partner of Sam Laidlow, dug himself out of a hole after the swim and came through with a 2.37 to finish in sixth, Bradley Weiss got a five minute penalty, still managed to finish in seventh, so probably A lost some motivation and B lost some places there. Gregory Barnaby um, who hasn't, I haven't done heap in the past, uh, was in 8th. Robert Wukleweki in ninth, and Clement Mignon, who was the early leader on the bike, finished in 10th place. Good
0: stuff. That's the World Championship done for the men this year. In a few weeks from now, we'll be talking about the females race, and I'm really looking forward to see what will happen there. Okay, so we did have a couple of results, or one result over the weekend. Yeah, we had chal- chal- challenge,
1: challenge Almira. Al took that out. 7-minute um, victory. and the female side, uh, she went... Don't put pop-ups on me, PTO. Uh, she went at 8.36, a uh, pretty decent time. And then on the boys' side, Mino Kulaus took it out in 7.36. So uh, exactly one hour difference between the males and females. We've
0: got two IMM races coming up this weekend. We've got Ironman Italy and IMM Maryland. We'll have a look at the results for those next week. But we do have a John's short course update.
1: Gwen Jorgensen has had two wins in two weeks. She won another World Cup at the weekend in uh um in the Czech Republic. She had a bit of a sprint finish there with Rachel Klama, who's um, been around for a long time. And yeah, two wins in two weeks of Grand Jorgensen. Both second-tier races, World she's gonna, Cup She's going to make it, mate. She's going to make it. She's not on the start list yet for the grand finale in a few weeks' time. This will have boosted her world rankings, so she might get a chance, but she'll be relying on other people pulling out. Um, so you still what? second-tier It'll racing, be... but hey, Could good on her.
0: Like, as much as we... we you know, we're not thinking she's going to get there. But of course she was and competitive. Not mm-hmm. not, not competitive to win because that's not going to happen but, but to she's help her fo- team.
1: Yeah, she's just focused on the on the mixed relay. I think it's an extremely long shot but good on her for trying and good on her for improving and uh, and two wins. It's two wins.
0: Okay, now the hot topic of the week last week oh, Hold on,
1: just one other thing. Uh, Super League next round oh, is yeah, in a couple of weeks' time in Malibu. Um, following up from last week where they had the round in Toulouse, I said last week I hadn't watched it. I have now watched it. This is a, Format of racing. I reckon Joe blocks is gonna watch this. This was it. They don't have all the rock stars there. Cool course really cool course amazing crowds just line lined for big sections of the of the um, of what, the do track. Uh, It's downtown it is France so they get but it was the same in London massive crowds in London, which is awesome yeah uh, and the Hayden Wild incident, kind of bit of blame on both sides. He basically miscounted and they didn't really direct him to get off the bike. It was quite confusing, but there's a bit of blame on both sides, so that's why he got his penalty. It was just a bit unfair that the other guy who ended up winning didn't get a penalty for overshooting the Dishman line thing? as well. More yeah, Basically, okay. uh, and it was just a, an, an official's error. Uh, the other one, they had a, the female who was uh, right up in the lead. She got disqualified for uh, her helmets kind of... She, had fought, fought, struggled with the helmet, and then she thought she had it done up. And it then as she was as she was running to the mount line, it came undone, and so she did it up again. She got disqualified, which I thought was a bit harsh, but that may be the rule. But maybe the rule needs to change there because she would not ride. Especially if you're running, yeah, she wasn't riding without a helmet done on. And yeah, there's, a f- there's quite a few instances that have come up lately where the rules maybe just need to be looked at a little bit. A bit too anal.
0: Mm. Um, but you loved the race. What, what
1: was the distance they're uh, doing? This one was. They did three triathlons, sort of um, okay. not back to back. They had little gaps in between and changed the the order of it. And I just saw, even though Hayden Wild and and the guys that were expected to win did win, it's just done in a way where it, yeah, was, watcha- it was watchable. Yeah. You know, if if I didn't watch triathlon, I think if I was a sports fan, I'd probably watch it. Yeah, it was good, really good.
0: Are super league getting bigger?
1: No, they're getting smaller in terms of the. The or well, the strength of the fields are getting weaker.
0: No, but I mean, as in, as in, like, I'd be really interested to know the, the financial back end mm. because, you know, like you're saying this, like realistically, we've always said the pro- the problem for triathlon is it's not a very good spectator sport. Well, this is our best option. Mm-hmm. So, is it is it growing as a, as a market thing? Mm. And you're like, we don't know. Maybe maybe we should get a back on. Um, it'd be really interested to know, you know, because it's been around for a while now. Mm-hmm. They're no, consistently putting races on, mm-hmm. uh, as you're saying. They're not necessarily getting the depth of field or the mm-hmm. rock stars all the time, but they keep putting out a product, and yeah. it seems to be a good product. Mm-hmm. So, and, and realistically, it's our best chance.
1: Mm. And in the triathlon world, I don't know. You know, that that's, I mean, it sounds stupid. It's not necessarily the market they need to get into mainstream. Yeah, that's what and I mean. I, yeah, I think they. It's a casual that, sports viewer, isn't I it? I think they've got the product. Whether it's
0: having any cut through, don't know. Yeah, that's what I want to know. Mm. Yeah Okay uh, The discussion of the week Well no one got it So we're not getting you in love Okay So the discussion of the week Is what are your top three picks Nobody picked Landlou Landlo. Did they not no, I didn't look through Nobody it. picked them Somebody put yeah. them in the top three But no one had them for the win Yeah uh, I think only Clive Aspen had them In the top three actually Right So No one's getting love Yeah We're not giving you love you didn't get it No A lot of people were What were your picks
1: I had uh, Fredino bombed out there. I had Langer and I had Bradley Vice. And I was thinking, I was watching it early on, thinking Fredino's going backwards here. But I reckon Bradley Vice, he's my dark horse so, And then he got the penalty. I was like, spewing. Uh, uh, what do I have? I think I had. Yeah, I think had Dittlef, Dittlef yeah. in
0: there. Um, yeah. I'm pretty sure I had Langer and Nedlow. Yeah. Yeah, I think I got the top three. Right, yeah. you did it. <laughs> this week's discussion. So the question is. Did watching the pro men's race at Nice Ironman World Championships excite you as much as watching Kona in the prior years? And maybe give us your why. Okay, John, let's give you a quiz question.
1: Okay, it is. Uh, so this year we had a little. No, we'll just go straight into it. How many Euro men were in the top 10 Ooh. in Kona compared to this year That's in last France? Year. So how many European men were in the top 10?
0: Okay, compared and, to this year and last year. This okay, year,
1: last year. All I'm going to say is. Let's be thankful there's no Collins Cup this year, because yeah. the Europeans would oh, yeah. have just annihilated everybody. Well,
0: well will we ever see a Collins Cup again? That's the question. Uh,
1: not with the way the Europeans are
0: going. No, it's not a competition. Okay, let's. Uh, we're going to interview John. Who is it?
1: Okay, we are talking with Amy Whitehead. I'll do an introduction in one second. Yes, she is. Righto team, Uh, today we have Dr. Amy Whitehead with us, she's uh, lectures in sports psychology and coaching at Liverpool John Moores University Um, and she also is a triathlete which is always a bonus but the reason we've got her on today is because uh, she co-edited the book Myths of Sport Coaching which I thought would be an interesting topic for some of you guys that are coaches but also pretty applicable to triathletes in general so uh, welcome along Amy.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: T- tell us a little bit about your, your academic background to sort of uh, where, you've, where you've come to today. Uh,
2: yes, yeah, so like you just mentioned, um, I'm an associate professor at uh, Liverpool John Moores University in sports psychology and coaching. Um, I'm a sport and exercise psychologist, so as well as my role at the university, I support athletes, recreational to Olympic professional standards, mostly in endurance. Um, I'm, I've kind of developed a bit of a niche I'm a a keen triathlete myself so uh, I love supporting endurance athletes from cycling triathlon to UTMB which was last week I think Mm, yeah yeah someone so yeah um, I lead a research group as well at the university uh, specifically coaching and pedagogy so I kind of straddle both sports psychology and coaching domains because I think everything is underpinned by psychology. I'm very biased, but um, yeah. that's my view. Um, so yeah, I've worked at the university in John Moores nearly nine years. Previous to that, I was at another university in the northwest of England for five years. Um, and my, my main area of research is also looking at kind of athletes um, and coaches' cognition. So I'm really interested in how people think, how people make decisions. We've done quite a bit of research in cycling to look at how uh, time trialists thought processes change as they move through an event and kind of how that corresponds with power output and heart rate and um, perceived effort and things like that. So, yeah, a oh. bit, bit, of, bit of a mixed bag of, of everything, um, jack of all trades.
1: <laughs> and have you, what, have you had any big races this season yourself?
2: Um, so I took I took a, a bit of time off. I uh, did Ironman in 2021, and then kind of recovered and uh, post COVID kind of got back into to work. But I've just signed up for uh, 70.3 in Switzerland for June next year, and then I'm nice. trying a new new race in September, which is called the Rock, um, which is kind of swim swim bike run and run up a mountain and then bike and then run again. Oh, nice. Um,
1: yeah cool so what was the genesis of uh coming up with this book you know it's Myth, myths of sport coaching um and you guys edit you know co-edited it what was the uh, mm-hmm. motivation to actually come up with this book
2: so i teach um a lot of students that are training to be coaches and i work my co-editor jen core she was um Head of uh, Performance and Wellbeing at West Ham Women's Football Club. She was a coach developer working with coaches um, for UK coaching as well. So we're always kind of debating in academia but on the ground kind of what what nonsense is still being kind of churned <laughs> out within coach education. Um, so if we look at kind of how a lot of coach education courses were designed, a lot of them weren't re- really underpinned. It was just kind of people's opinions on what should be some coaching qualifications what kind of what should be in there um but we were seeing things like learning styles kept kept coming up all the time there's actually no evidence for that and there's a lot of I get a lot of questions from coaches around gender like oh men and women are so different like how can I coach them differently well it's not necessarily a gendered issue it's more of an individual everyone's different right so we need to take that into consideration um the the notion of you know being cruel to be kind um and i I work with so many amazing academics and and coaches across the world so I just thought why not invite all of these people to contribute to a, a book that can be applicable to both, like four coaches and um, we tried to make it Um, you know we we get a hard time in academia that we're like kind of keyboard warriors writing all this academic Mm -hmm. stuff and put it in journals that no one can actually read and it's Mm -hmm. kind of true yeah so (laughs) so one of the things that I was really passionate about with the book is that it's actually going to be read by coaches and it's going to be applicable for coaches not just um you know heavy theoretical kind of um, discussions that a coach sometimes might read and go how can i apply this to my context? so that was something that was a big motivator
0: so when, when you know you break down a few different areas and one of the areas you talk about is goal setting and is is the traditional model that we can kind of hear a lot of is that kind of concept of smart goals uh, mm-hmm. can you explain you know how it works although i'm sure most people probably know but what are the limitations of this approach to goal setting and maybe what is a better approach
2: yeah um great question so we see Smart goals being being used a lot. Um, definitely if you come across kind of goal setting guides, if you Google goal setting, that'll come up everywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think even there's an issue with the first letter. So specific, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if I, I if I'm working with a, an athlete or a coach is working with an athlete and we set a really specific goal, like even if it's a, a time and an Ironman, um or a position for example like for me the the chances of not achieving that because it's so specific uh, are quite high unless it's a really easy specific goal which then there's an issue there because it's you know too attainable we're not as motivated to achieve or it's a really difficult specific goal so with goal setting I really like to work on a continuum so if you know if you're working with an athlete who wants to hit a a nine-hour Iron Man, for example, um we don't always know what's going to happen. Like there might be GI issues, there might be bad weather, there might be a puncture. So for me, instead of being too specific, I'm always kind of work within a within an area, um, and also have a, a specific plan A, but also have a plan B and C. So you've got the sliding continuum of, of goals. Um if Like, again, going back to it depends on who we're working with as well. So if an athlete is quite new to to the sport, then um, open goals might be more applicable than setting very specific goals. So just working with a new athlete to get them to be able to, you know, swim four hundred meters might be a really big deal. Um, but saying to them, "Do your best," could be more, um, could be less stressful for them than you saying, "Right, I want you to hit four hundred meters in, I don't know, seven minutes or whatever." So that there's just a few kind of issues that I, I see with with goal setting. Um, in the chapter, Laura Healy and and Des McKeown talk about. The, the importance of the, the coach really knowing the individual athlete. So, for example, you have different goals and preferences. So you might have an athlete that m- might have a performance kind of preference, which is they just want to be better than, you know, their last um, 70.3 or, you know, that last marathon. But then you might have a kind of a success-oriented athlete that's really interested or really motivated by winning or, you know, hitting a PB Um, more placing so I guess it's understanding what how your athlete kind of ticks and what 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 get what motivates them is is really important and also who's setting them goals is another important factor so if my coach is going to set me goals and we're not really going to consult and and discuss them in detail then I don't own them so it's really important that that it comes from me Mm. what what Sorry,
1: Bob. yeah, but what the, the the book you've got there is it's very much what the research is saying, isn't it? So I mean you it's rather than this isn't just another opinion piece. It's, it's sort of pretty much backed up saying the smart goals is perhaps not the best way to do things.
2: Yeah, so the the book the chapter cites a lot of research that that actually shows that using smart goals doesn't doesn't really show that much in, improvement in in performance. Um a lot of the research and goals that are in goal setting and a lot of the, the underpinning evidence is very lab-based. So you know, and it's very short term. So we take a cyclist into a um a lab and we give them a, a goal to focus on. And then we so we have one group with the goal and one control group and say, do your best. So the, the group with the goal always does better, but that's in a really short-term environment. Mm-hmm. Um and I think going back to the whole being, knowing the individual. So I I've been working with an athlete who hopes to get to Paris next year, but she doesn't want to think about Paris yet. Because well, this was six months ago. She doesn't want to think about Paris because it's too far away. So if I'm going to say, right, we need to sit down and set these smart goals to get us to Paris, she's totally switched off because it's too far in advance. We need to work backwards to look at like what are the little processes that that make up how how we can get there but it let's not even go to paris let's go to um the giro for example um let's work out what we need or, or what excites you and what motivates you and kind of what your small goals or process goals that we focus on that you want to kind of you want to achieve from from that um that like kind of short term Uh, event
1: that's going to vary massively from athlete to athlete though as well isn't it so you that that particular athlete might not want to focus on paris athlete b might want paris to be the focus the whole time through as well
2: yeah and that's the point so uh, for me there's a huge message that runs through this whole book doesn't matter if doesn't matter what the chapter is it's everything depends on the individual and the huge message for the coach is how well do you know your athlete Mm. Um, yeah what's so, your level
0: of understanding really isn't it
2: 100
0: so we're just going to be
1: touching on on a, a few of the chapters guys um if you do want to go into this in more detail obviously go get the book it's called myths of sport coaching um chapter 16 is caring uh caring coaching examining the notion of cruel to be kind and other caring myths um and that's by column Cronin hopefully I've pronounced that right Um, so obviously we've you know in the last few years in particular we've seen some horrific cases of abusive coaches and I think we all just say that's obviously not acceptable but you're still going to have those different coaching styles where you're going to have the coach who's you know maybe a bit more grumpy and a bit more a bit bit sort of more harsh on on athletes potentially versus the one who's you know on the other end of the spectrum who's you know they're really really friendly and best mates with with the the athletes so maybe discuss a bit around um this sort of notion of being uh cruel to be kind and, and what this sort of chapter entails.
2: So Colin Colin Cronin's chapter talks about um this notion of being cruel to be kind. And I think for me what's interesting is he talks about the history of where this comes from so if you look at like lots of the coaching films like coach carter and films like that i think there's a huge percentage of these films that portray this coach to be kind of very dominant sometimes quite abusive mm. um but as a result they're always getting results and i think that's kind of generated this um kind of this message that that's the right thing to do and, and he also talks about how if we look at what the definition of a leader or back in the 80s and 70s what the definition was a, of a good leader is is someone who is dominant you know and um, very male oriented quite masculine and it kind of originates from military times so I think that's where it's come from um but I think times have massively changed so he talks about care and i think one of the one of the things that we need to be um kind of aware of is just because we're caring it doesn't mean we're, you know we're friends with our athletes it doesn't mean we're putting our arms around them and you know telling them how great they are all the time so being caring is about listening it's about going back to what i was saying earlier it's about understanding the wants and the needs of the athlete so colin talks about what uh, what an athlete wants might not not necessarily be what an athlete needs so as a coach, and you guys will know this, you'll have athletes that might be a bit lazy every now and again, but they want to, you know, do a really good time in, in their Ironman. So you'll will, you will have to push them mm-hmm. and you'll have to set them them the hard training sessions and you'll have to tell them that, you know, they're going to have to get up at 5am to get that swim, swim session in because that's what they need. Um, but knowing that they need that without kind of pushing them too far um, and he talks about this idea of engrossment. So that's showing an athlete that you're listening, that you're 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 kind of taking on board. So I think this is a really interesting one for especially endurance, because a lot of your coaching is online. Mm. So it's not it's not traditional kind of how we talk about you know a football coach with a whole team that with them on a daily basis. You might just see their training peaks data. Um you mm-hmm. might, but how you respond to that is really important. So I, I work with, uh, you know, Tim Piggott John. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's my coach. If I've had a bad session and I've had a bit of a moan on training peaks and told him why, he'll check in with me. It might not be that day, but he'll check in with me at some point during that week. And that shows that Tim's listening to my uh, training peaks. He's, he's attentive, he's, he's engrossed in me as a person. And all the research shows us that that level of, of support from a coach increases our enjoyment in the activity, mm-hmm. cre- increases our motivation, um, and also can lead to things like reduced like stress, fatigue, burnout, and even going to, like, as far as mental health if we've got that kind of good social connection with the coach.
1: Tim must feel under the pump when he's coaching you. He's, you know, he's just getting analysed the whole time. <laughs> Tim was on a, he was on one of our epic camps many years ago over in France. Um, and uh, yeah, so that must be. Uh, he's, he's, he does more of the the ultra endurance running these days, doesn't he? Yeah, he
2: does. Yeah. And Tim's great. So me and Tim met um, through a conference. So I worked for Tim's company as well as um, as a sports psychologist. Uh, So I offer sports psychology support to Tim's athletes. And again, it's going back to Tim will recognize if his athlete might need support and then um, refer them to me or suggest they might um, benefit from speaking to me.
0: It's ultimately what you're saying there is when we look at a good coach, you know, when we look at good relationships, what good relationships have is trust. You know, that the, you know, the, the concept of I trust you'll be there when I need you when to support me emotionally and, and practically. Um, and so a good coach has the ability to build those little interactions that builds that trust over the long term.
2: Yeah, completely. And I think going back to that idea of trust is what what do we need to do to develop trust? Mm. Sometimes you might have an athlete that trusts you straight away, that buys into everything you do. Um, I've also worked with athletes that are constantly questioning their coach, that the training that they're giving them. And I think one of the biggest things is about that communication. So providing a rationale for why you're giving um the sessions or you're planning the sessions that you are. Um and I think you know, some athletes are really into the science. So they'll, they'll 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 want that extra information and they might be a headache for you as a coach, mm. but to be able to provide that information, then gives them the trust that, you know, you're, you, you know what you're doing. Um, but even just you checking in and asking, are you, you know, how, how are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything else from me? I think that also develops trust because you're showing that you care.
0: Well, the other thing I think that when we look at the soft side of trust, like I own a running business where we do group training, so it's not really one-on-one, but even it's like the little things of being professional, like starting on time, like, you know, delivering on your word on, you know, those those practical trust skills. If your coach always delivers your program late, that actually it hurts the trust of the relationship, doesn't it? So there is this kind of trust of the emotional side, but there's also the trust of I'm in good hands because this person's professional and how they're acting with me.
2: Yeah. Consistency is key, like you said. Um, you know having the, the sessions on time or in advance um, you know checking in on them on a on a consistent basis so I think like if you if you're really attentive over like a short space of time and then you leave them for a long period of time they'll be questioning and I always get a lot of athletes uh, and I'll say have you checked it have you checked in with your coach because they'll say, Oh, I haven't heard from him or her for a while. And I say, Well, have you checked in with them? And then they say, Oh, well, I'm not sure, I don't want to bother them, I don't yeah. know if I'm annoying them too much. So it's this kind of unknown. Um, and that's because there's not the coach and the athlete haven't kind of um, determined this initial, I guess, contract and yeah. agreement of how, how they will work. Mm.
1: Um, chapter 19 is around uh psychological resilience, which is a real buzzword these days. And we've had um, some discussions around this in the, in the past. And, you know, we've had the Ironman world championships last weekend, and we've seen some athletes sort of overcome resilience to have these amazing performances. So um, yeah, it's a real buzzword. And it's, I think it's for some people, it's quite hard to get their head around what resilience actually means and, and what I can do about it. So maybe talk about some of the myths that you guys uncover with regards to um, resilience.
2: Yeah, so if, if you haven't heard of uh, Mustafa Saka, he is the the academic king of resilience, um, especially in the UK. Um, and he uh, published that chapter with Joel and Keg- Kegers. Um, but I think one of the biggest things from that chapter that for us to, to learn is that resilience isn't an in, an innate characteristic. It's not something we're born with. And it's not something that, you know, just appears. Um, it's something that we can develop. It's something that might be different depending on what, what context we're in. And I think for me, the really important thing about resilience is that um, they, they talk about this idea that resilience, instead of someone being resilient, we should use the word we're demonst- they're demonstrating resilience because it's not, Like you might, so you guys might be super resilient when you're, I don't know, doing doing an Ironman. But if I put you in a completely different context, you might fall apart and be not resilient. Mm. So it depends on on what um, kind of context you're in. So I might be super resilient, um, you know, when I'm running because I'm really confident in that context. Put me in the water. I'm a terrible swimmer, <laughs> and put me in a, a, a sea swim, and I'm even l- like less um, uncomfortable. So I might show a different level of of demonstrate a different level of resilience. Um, and another thing for me that's really important about this is that resilience is very dependent on the environment. So going back to the idea of care and coaching, um, and you might have heard about the word that you might have heard the term psychological safety. So this all links together in that if you as a coach can provide the environment where an athlete does feel comfortable to push boundaries or try something new or even ask questions then they they they're in a, an environment where they can develop kind of better resilience um so it's for me it's about how does the coach provide opportunities you know can, can you put pressure on but in a safe way um, can you stretch your athlete without kind of um, in an ethical kind of manner? So they talk about pressure training um, and, and that could be so Michael Phelps, they used to uh, use pressure training there where they would on purpose like snap his goggles. Um, <laughs> nice. Just just before his, uh, like a big training session or just to like annoy him and wind him up and he would then have to kind of deal with that frustration and kind of building in little kind of pressure training exercises can help to to Mm. develop resilience.
0: In rugby league, there's a guy, uh, Melbourne Storm are quite a good rugby league team. And and one of their players is an explorer. And he always talked about when they got to the final situations, they'd practice them so many times because they created game situations when they're under under so much pressure. So they were so well prepared physically, but also mentally for those moments, you know.
1: And also for me, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of athletes, don't go and do races uh, before their big main race. You know, in terms of putting themselves in those, those sort of pressure yeah. situations. Mm-hmm. So, I like that, that. This particular chapter is um, is divided into seven myths on resilience, um, and one of them is uh, the myths is resilience cannot be developed. Um, so, if you guys want to read a bit more about resilience, go and check that out. Um, and the final chapter we're sort of going to look at is um, the role of the psychologist, which is chapter fifteen, um, and the myth that the sole role of the psychologist is to fix athletes um so yeah maybe maybe talk through what you guys go through in this particular chapter and um how it's relevant for for triathletes
2: yeah um so this chapter was written by a couple of my colleagues laura swettenham kristen McGinty minister and uh stuart bicker Um so we as a sports psychologist we come across this all the time um and the history of sports psychology is does lend to this notion that, you know, we're just here to be wheeled in and fix people when they're, when they're, when they're broken or, you know, give a motivational speech to a, a team or a group of athletes kind of before a big event. Um, and we're trying to move away from that kind of thought process now. So what we want to try and think about is how do we create a more psychologically informed environment that would mean that athletes would need to seek out being fixed um, less often. So, for example, um, a lot of you'll see a lot of organizations now will hire sports psychologists. Definitely in the UK, it's really big in soccer or football. Um, because we what we want to do is try and create a psychologically informed environment where coaches are providing your more psychologically safe coaching, the doing pressure training to develop resilience and with their athletes and we're talking much more about mental health. So we're we're, we're using um, language that's more appropriate. We're creating safe spaces for athletes so that if they do feel stressed or kind of a little bit mentally less stable, then they're able to maybe cope with it more or, um you know seek support um in a, in a less serious way if you will um that doesn't mean that um, 90 percent of my clients don't come to me because they're having a performance issue or you know something's wrong so that's still massively the case and that doesn't and i think that that will always be there and that doesn't mean that that's not also our job um, but I think for me, like my preferred way to work with clients, and kind of that's why I support Tim's um, company, is that I check in with athletes just to make sure that we're kind of topping them up, if you will, um, so that they are, do feel more resilient and do feel more psychologically stable and, and kind of better prepared to, to face their kind of sport and performance. But then also, our role isn't just about sport. So many of my clients have issues outside of sport that massively overlap and, and affect their performance. So, again, I think it's just a highlight that our role is expanding so much and just a kind of call to, a call to coaches that, you know, use us more um, because, you know, we, we can work with coaches to really help them inform their practice much better.
0: Well, it's interesting as well as <clears throat> if we look at a traditional Ironman, they're going to be training anywhere from ten to thirty hours a week. You know, they put a lot of time into the physical side of their training, but maybe not a huge amount of time into the mental game. And I know a lot of that happens in your training, but to put some time aside to develop yourself, especially if you've got skilled people beside you to do that, you're going mm-hmm. to progress, aren't you?
2: Yeah, totally. And I love I love working with like Ironman and triathletes because. They they are such serious athletes. Like we I think it's been said many times, like I don't know any other rec especially recreational athletes that put so much time, money and resource into into their sport. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, some of the most, you know, total recreational athletes wanna get as much as they can out of of me as a as a psychologist and they'll invest more time. I've personally at my experience of working with um triathletes is that they will invest more time in psychology than other sports that i've worked in um and i also like to when i'm working with athletes that want to invest in on a long-term basis we we periodize physical training but also we can totally periodize psychological training so we can work on different strategies at different times in the year depending on what events we've got so we kind of we might work on just general well-being general like mental state and general happiness I I love talking about happiness (laughs) (laughs) and then we might have an event coming up and we might drill down into okay right let's get our kind of event head on and you know what does our strategy look like during each Event, how are we chunking? How are we building? How are we working with the nutrition to link into the um the, the pacing strategies? You know, what are we going to do when things get really tough and we go we go down deep into that horrible pain curve and we're struggling mm-hmm. to get out of it? What strategies can we use? So, but we we wouldn't talk about that all the time because you know, sometimes we just want to learn how to manage our training better. Um, Tim's really good at kind of not not having us focus too much on you know pace and numbers in in our weekly um training so we might have we just do a flip of coin and um, if it's heads you go right if it's tails we go left we don't listen <laughs> to music we we touch a tree we it, we appreciate the environment so it's all about kind of building that into to a whole year's worth of training
1: excellent so the book's called um, myths of sport coaching um tell us where people can get it and, and any other sort of stuff that uh, you want to get out there in terms of if people want to follow what you're up to
2: yeah thanks john thanks for promoting the book so um you can get it on amazon i um, pretty easy i'd say i'd just go to go to amazon google or search of sport coaching um, another thing that we're really kind of passionate about was keeping it cheap so don't know what it converts to um for you guys but it's like 14 15 pounds here mm. in the uk great Smart. Um, we've also got uh, myths of sport performance coming out next year so that's kind of a version two um or edition two of the book and that's more for and general practitioners so we've got things for physiologists we've got things for coaches we've got things for um anyone working in and around the kind of performance environments so we've got like myths around sleep fatigue recovery and um, management and um, de- like development um myths around leadership so again it's it's an, it's a part two so that should be out of mid next year be- back oh sorry no
0: no, we'll get you back on at the time <laughs> so,
2: yeah yeah that'd be cool and then yeah if people want to get in touch um they can kind of get a hold of me on on twitter at a underscore no, it's not one. twitter
1: anymore is it not twitter anymore oh yeah it? it's x x
2: i've refused <laughs> to to update my app because and keep it as twitter yeah. <laughs> um Or they can just drop me an email on my work email, which is a.e.whitehead at lgmu.acu
1: dot uk awesome cool very good i always like interviewing people when i see a bike in the background um so i'm sure you've been out on that today in this long lasting english summer you guys are having thanks for staying up late and uh really enjoyed the conversation so guys if uh, if this book is not um i was scanning through it it's not yet your classic as amy said you know really scientific really hard read it's it's a nice easy understanding book um so go check it out Yeah. yeah thanks for your time amy
2: Thanks for
1: having me on. Good to meet you both. Jombo, your thoughts? It's really good stuff. And I think for you guys to go and have a read of that book, I've sort of skim read it in advance for this yes, um, right. yeah. this interview, but it's actually a book that I'm going to go back and, and have a good read through, um, obviously to improve my coaching, but just as uh yeah, there's some, some really good topics in there. So it's really just working through lots of myths or misconceptions that may have been around in the past, that they really want to blow out of the water with the scientific backing of uh, the research that's been done in, in different parts of the world. Okay.
0: Well, if you, Now, I'll put a link to the Amazon link in the show notes. I'll put a link to her Amazon link. And again, you can get her email from what she just said before. Okay, let's go to Wanger. Oh, we're
1: going to do some age groupers of the week. I've got to give some love to oh, this, okay. the people that raced at Ironman on the weekend. So age, age groupers of the week. week. We'll quickly go through the age group, highlighting the winners um, of each particular age group. And then I just want to comment on a couple of things. So Bevan, uh, Uh, mine's just uh, loading up. up So I'll start with, we'll just go tip for tat. We'll go with the 18 to 24 year olds. Uh, First place was Lucas Stahl from Germany. He came home in a 9.22 with a comfortable 10
0: minute victory. Okay, well I've got um, Jari class
1: you are going for 25 to 29 yep
0: uh he did a 902 love your work and he won by about 17 minutes
1: uh next up he was a frenchie in the 30 to 34 it was pierre stermants uh he came home in a 911 pretty close race only won by a minute he ran a 3 hour 51 seconds marathon um winning by yeah just over 1 minute
0: Lars Lomholt uh, from, I think it's Sweden or Switzerland. Um, he, he, I think he's got the fastest age group time of an 8.55.26.
1: Oh, yeah, I didn't see any sub-9s.
0: Yeah, so he got a sub-9, which is
1: bloody impressive. And that's in the 35 to 39 yep. men. Came home with a 2.53. That is yeah, impressive. That's good. As was the second guy, around a 2.51. Yeah. Nice work. Men's 40 to 44. Christian Holt took that out. He was 9 hours 25, winning by a massive 9 minutes and 49 seconds.
0: Good old Donald Brooks from the UK took out the 45 to 49 age group in a 9.25.39. Uh,
1: are you, I think we skipped. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry, I apologise. Right. uh, Number fifty to 54. Uh, this wasn't a particularly popular one. Uh, Alexander Vinokurov. So he was Kazakhstan. a drug cheat, was he? He was a drug cheat. And when I list my... Le- least popular cyclist of all time I'm going to have Lance Armstrong at the top I still can't listen to any of the stuff Even though he's probably got the best cycling podcast out there Is he? Um, Yeah, um, I, I refuse to listen to it Just because he's a yeah, dog yeah. yeah Um. But number two on my list is Alexander Vinokorov Why? Um, so I know nothing about him Tell me about was, him He was just a, a drug student and, and, and never owned up to anything And yeah, Was he a good cyclist? Yeah, but he was he was juiced yeah. to the girls. Yeah. Um so he took out the fifty to fifty four age group by fifteen minutes uh in front of Sean Brunt. So nice work Sean Brunt from the Panthers Triathlon Club. I wanna see what Vinakorov rode out of just out of interest. Well, he should be pretty he good. He rode four fifty eight. Oh,
0: which isn't that phenomenal.
1: Mm, that course it is. Is it? When I mean, you think La- Laidlow Rat Road at four thirty is only losing oh, true. less than okay, twenty yeah, minutes no, sorry, yeah, to, yep, to yep, Laidlow. Yep, sorry. That's uh,
0: mental. Um fifty five to fifty nine, Laurent uh, well, this is another one mean, from Is he French?
1: Yeah, Laurent Jalabert. And also, that one comes with a little bit of an asterisk. He was won by thirty-eight minutes. So, what's the asterisk? So, he was a former cyclist as well, also got done for drugs and never owned up to as well. He was from the the Anse era, um, and again, they were all on drugs at that stage. But you know, so
0: where's up. the forgiving? I know. I yeah. I know. But like Lance, I can't forgive because he was a horrible person. Yeah. You know, because I can. You can see the argument going. You know what? They all cheats. Like yeah. you know, Lance's <laughs> time, they're all cheating. Yeah. And let's be honest, nice, cycling for thirty years. Yeah. Maybe still today, I don't know. What do you reckon? The,
1: um, sorry, sorry
0: do you explain. reckon still lots of drugs in cycling? Oh, there's still
1: some drugs in cycling for sure, um, but certainly not to the extent there was. But, back but then. To,
0: to what the reason I can't I can't deal with Lance is is how he treated people. Yeah, i mean exactly you know, he was just the, the most horrible person in the history. Of the, well, not in the history of the world, mm-hmm. but 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 he would destroy lives. Destroy life and use all his power and influence to just to destroy yeah, it's people, Horrible, you know, and he knew he was cheating the whole time. Mm. You know, I get it, you've got to, you know, when you're a cheat, you got to defend your lies, but there's mm. a, there's a way to do things.
1: But, so Laurent, Jal- uh, my thing is, if people own up to it um, and they yeah, try to make some advancement, then I'm a bit more forgiving. Okay. Uh, so Laurent Jalabert wrote a 5.13 to win the uh, 55 to 59 age group with an asterisk as well.
0: Okay, your next one.
1: Uh 60-64, Tom Bradley, not Tom Brady. Tom Bradley took that out. From the States, he did 1046, winning by 10 minutes.
0: Jose, I'm gonna say McGarico is a girly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, from Spain, he did a 1201. And that was in the 65 to 69. And we did have some in the 70
1: to 74. Uh Valerio. Corridori from Italy, he took it out in 12 hours and 17 minutes for a complete dojo domination by 1 hour and 20 minutes. What about this
0: one, Bob Can- uh, Knuckley, I'm going to say, um, from Canada, in 75 to 79, don't look, what yeah. time do you reckon you do? Uh f- 14 hours, 57.
1: Oh, you dirty (laughs) dog. He looked at the results. But that's impressive. It is. He finished in 1480th. I don't know what place did he actually finish at the end.
0: By gender, wait a
1: second. Let's let's put it this way. He wasn't wasn't at the back. Uh, Mate, you
0: got sub 15 on a normal course.
1: 1663 was his finish out in 1900. 300 people behind him. And,
0: And at that age... Mm. To go sub
1: fifteen on a normal Ironman's impressive. Yeah, true. You know, you know, you get people doing sixteen, you know, seventeen hours. Yeah. that's impressive. It was, what it was, a, it was the only seventy-five to seventy-nine age group uh, age group, and he you took it a out. Legend, you are mate. excellent performance. Man,
0: I'd love to be able to move like you when I'm your age.
1: Well done to everybody who f- finished on what looked like an awesome day.
0: Okay, let's go into winner of the of week. week. Okay, I'm going to say good old forty-eight Marty Hill
1: Nice, Marty. Hill, not yeah. even anywhere near getting ready for that. So you can tell
0: us okay, about Marty. Marty Hill. He's from Sydney, Australia. He likes a bit of. Oh, he's got some beautiful. He's what got. got a, he's got a picture of himself going for a pee. Yeah, it's from behind, luckily, not frontal. Yeah. Yeah. which is good. Uh, he's a bit gangster. He's got some beautiful runs here. He does. always oh, he was a little bit consistent through July. What happened there, Marty? And first half of the year was a it was all over the place. <laughs> and then the second half he's brought it back because from pretty much from late July through to now he's been killing it. Uh, Last week, he did, I think, three hours on the run, and then he did like, I don't know if he's got those stats here, but. What number was he? 42, was it? 49, I think it was. 49.
1: Um, Martin Hill, he did 15 hours and 15 minutes of training from 15 activities. He loved the 15s last week. Lots of hours. Three hours, 10 minutes swimming, seven hours, 35 on the bike, four hours, 29 on the run. Marty Hill, you are our winner of the week. week.
0: Very good. Okay, John, let's, uh, let's go into is it your swim set or questions and answers. Actually, uh, I think I have one there. Yep. You keep um, talking. You do your so, swim set.
1: So, swim set this morning, we did 450 meters warm up, doing 100 free, 25 back, 25 breasts. Then we did a, a set of eight times 200. First one we did with full gear, so that's pull boy, band, and paddles. Second one, we lost the paddles, so it was just pull boy and band. Third one, we did paddles only. And then the fourth one was freestyle and then we repeated that through. So the idea there is just to do a little bit of strength work but also get a different feel for the water with the paddles going on, paddles coming off. Quite, I said to the guys, quite a high admin set because you're constantly changing your gear. Then we did uh, 100 IM, and then we did nine uh, 450s hard kick, and then 9 100s, descend 1 to 3, 4 to 6, 7 to 9, so that's one steady, one moderate, one hard and we repeated that through, warm down. Three thousand four hundred
0: fifty meters, I think. Good old. Just we did get one email from from Chris Dockerty, and uh, he was just saying, Chris, what's his name is. is, is the Jetstream dockety. Um, he was just saying he did whales a few weeks ago and he said he can't agree more with the Red Rocket that was absolutely fantastic experience the weather was great uh, the sea was calm basically flat it had an Aussie exit what's an Aussie exit? it's where
1: you come out of the water and you jump back in
0: oh nice uh, which was good because you got to hear thousands of people on the shore the bike road had some good proper hills the four lap run course was going down the streets of Timby. Uh, the support was like nothing else pots and pans cowbells uh, posters and signs to tap uh, kids with the water guns fancy dress still a lot their enthusiasm was amazing because the support was sustained well beyond the early finishes so uh, he, he actually he's, he he the red Should rocket. be putting a camp on over there Yeah yeah. we're basically saying John you put the camp on Because he's saying He actually feels Like the Red Rocket That it's a better race experience than road Which is a massive call It is a bit cool Yeah but So if you want to check out An amazing race I'm in Wales Get get on it Okay John Bo, Let's say thank you To our patrons so I'll go to do my quiz question first Oh okay yeah. How many last So last year So the UK is Europe isn't it
1: We'll classify the UK as Europe. So the question was, this year, how many pros were there from Europe uh, in the top 10 and how did that compare to Kona the previous year? So so basically it's, it's a relatively easy... Answer for the well, this year
0: we have how many we have one we have two,
1: sort of one to two non-Europeans in the top ten. It depends, depends Rudy if you von count Bird. Rudy von Berg because he's like a Frenchie that lives in America. Kind he of races things. under America. Races under America. So we'll give him that to him. We'll give him that. So this year there's only eight. No, there's, there's eight Europeans in okay. the top ten. So, so last year only. Two. Oh, we didn't, we didn't actually answer it. Well, I am answering it. No, but we really only have our guesses. Okay, well I'm looking at this year's one. So this year there's eight. Um Last year's.
0: Last year, I'm gonna say there were six.
1: I'm gonna go seven.
0: Okay, here we go. Yeah, where do you find so it? So let's see. Um,
1: um, I'll be there in a couple of seconds. Great podcasting. Yeah, this so this, this it a trick is. on this really well, haven't we? Uh, Righty ho, let's have a look. We have on the boys' side one, two, three, four, five. five it's seconds. probably easier if I count the non-Europeans. One, one. Really. So this year was even uh, so this Better. year the, the, this year the rest of the world We're coming come, back. We're coming year, back. We're back. We got two this year. <sighs> uh, so Joe Skipper was no, not sorry Joe Skipper, Max Newman was the only non European. Because you had the, the the Norwegians, you had Sam Lalo, you had Keenley, Chevalier, Ditlev, Clement Mignon, Patrick Langer. So yeah. Bit of a uh, bit of a crushing there. The rest of the world means pick up our game. Come mm. on, oh, Brad Curry, Cameron Worth. Tim O'Donnell's gone. Matt Hansen, he had one of the fastest run splits um, this year, but he was uh, got lapped on the run. By the oh, time really? He was getting lapped, which was a bit embarrassing for him.
0: And you would have had him out if you based on your rules.
1: Totally would have had him out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the Europeans are crushing it. Okay, so uh, let's say thank you to our patrons. We've got Aiden, Mr. Moo, Moulin. We've
0: got Rob the Mighty Flynn. And Hellraiser Brian Hagan. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to me. Go to support the show and just go through the process. It's all pretty simple. If you want to get show emailed to you, same front page down the bottom. Uh, if you want to become oh, put down a patron, coaching, coachjohnnewson.com, has epic camps, epiccamp.com. Anything I do, bevanjamsisles.com. Um... Actually, one thing I I've, I went on our Facebook page. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get reviews of my book up to 100. I've got 90, yep. 93 reviews. This is American reviews. Yeah, because you got to, you got to get American views because mm-hmm. otherwise they don't go in the American store. Right. Um. So if you want to help me do this, I'll pay. I'll pay for you to buy the book. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically. I do everything for you. It would literally take you ten you minutes. You don't read the book for them, though, do you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just, <laughs> see, I call just them. I call them. Seen them bullet points. Yep, I call <laughs> them. I say, "Welcome to page number one." It you know, <laughs> yep. takes a while, but hey, I'm committed. Um, so you know, if you want to help me with this, just flick me an email, uh, or even just go on our Facebook page and add to the post that I did a couple of days ago. Some people have already helped out, so thank you, those people. You bloody rock stars. Um, um, yeah, so that of, explain your book. That, for, for, I, I will it, make you room. passionate about exercise. It's a ten-step journey for somebody who has no exercise in their life or struggles with exercise and it's basically the way I've done the book is every chapter is a lesson and a challenge and so for example the first lesson they need to do is learn how to fit exercise into your life the challenge is how do you do 12 exercise sessions a week and then what I do is I give strategies mindsets and rules that you're going to work around so for example and this again this isn't for you guys you guys are hardcore fit people but basically uh, for example a strategy is the only thing you measure is did I start Okay, so instead of going, you know, I have to do a hard run today, is did you start your exercise? Because all we're trying to do is get you to fit exercise into your into your life. Um, another strategy is the exercise has to seem easy because we're trying to remove the mental barrier of exercise being hard. So I'm giving you all this, you know, the, the experience you need to go through that at the end of the first month, oh, I can fit exercise in my life. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it as easy as possible for you to be successful. Then the next chapter, so the basic, the, the thing I did was when you look at people who have Long term love exercise, they tend to have a few traits. A, they have a movement they like. Us, it's triathlon, you know. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is, there's many different movements out there. B, they have a community they're in, mm-hmm. you know. So, you know, the people are getting most of it have a community. So, they have social bonds and all the rest of it. They have leaders who guide them. So, they have the leaders who actually, you know, that might be a coach, it might be people within your community. Then they go on growth journeys. Mm -hmm. So you know, so then, so part of the book is they do their first fitness goal, and I teach them how to do a fitness goal that's realistic for a beginner. And then what they do is they have a reflection slash where do I go next kind of process. And then there's kind of the ongoing evolution. And then the last parts of the book are more about your identity. So it's about. Um, having identity with exercise, helping other people have exercise, and so on. So, and the way I've designed the book is that each chapter has an experience that you almost like a challenge that you have to face, but it's realistic for a beginner. And what I'm doing is I'm building that framework. So, at the end of chapter one, you've done 12 exercise sessions, and the next challenge you're going to try six different types of movements. Mm-hmm. So you might try a run, you might try dance class, you might try karate. At the end of that, you found a movement you like. Hmm. chapter three you're going to find the community with your movement so you might find triathlon now in your area you might have a couple of triathlon clubs so you're going to try the different options for that and you're looking for the best community with the best leaders and so what I'm doing is I'm building this experience so by the end of a, like, kind of like a year you've had all these experiences which have created the framework that you actually have a long term love of exercise
1: so yeah so as Bevan said it might not be relevant for you in particular for your exercise given you're already exercising yeah. but in terms of trying to get others around you uh, involved might and I've be been getting Amazon.
0: amazing feedback from the book. Mm. Like People who read it absolutely love it. So if you know someone in your life, you can pass the book on. If you want to get the book, go to com. But it is on Amazon, and if you do want to buy it and um, put a review up. But if you want me to kind of do all the steps for you and make it as easy as possible, go on our Facebook page. You'll see I put a post up a couple of days ago. Just go, hey, I'm willing to help out, and I'll go through that process. Anyway, John, what you goss some guys had the slopes for a little bit last oh week. Oh, that's so that right. Was good. The other
1: legs, yeah, they were pretty good. Just a couple of half days. I like a half day. Why? Um, because you can just go hard. So half day, you get a ticket like twelve thirty till four o'clock. Oh, so good afternoon, not early. Yeah, uh, yeah, and it's just continuous skiing for you know three and a half. Maybe people in field? No, it's, it's really quiet. You're just skiing straight on the lift every time. Uh-huh. Well, not every time, but just about it's every time. It's not the time. hardest field, but is it? We were at two fields, one called Round Hill, and then we went to Dobbs, uh, Mount Dobson the other day. Yep. So a nice little contrast, so, so that was good. Um, so that was my weekend. But yeah, when you ski a hard run downhill, my legs are rooted at the bottom. When How you many runs would you do in four hours? Oh, they're pretty short up there. You quite quite a lot. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty short runs, and you kind of mix it up. There's all different sorts of lifts, and some short, some long. So, um, but yeah. What do you pay to go skiing now? Sorry.
0: What do you pay to go skiing? A lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And th- these are smaller fields. Um, for a half day, we're paying about I think it was about eighty five bucks for a half day ticket for an adult. Yep. If you go to the uh, big commercial fields now, it's like $160, 170, 180 yeah. bucks it's for a, a ticket skiing. for a day
0: skiing. And they rape you on the food, wow, don't they? Yeah, you know when you go for God. food and stuff, they take you know mm. they, they absolutely kill you on that front. So
1: my two half days is enough for one year. <laughs> do you have all the gear? Uh, no, we, I'm going to get some gear. For, I've skied all my life, but I've just haven't had. Skis so, so you hire the gear? Hire and the hire gear is pretty shitty, but it's um, good yeah, enough. it's good fun. And we did it's nice family activity. Kids are skiing, you know, at a level now we can ski with them. So it's um, are you a good, good skier? Uh, not blowing my own trumpet. I'm pretty reasonable because yeah. I skied as all my kid. life as a kid. Yeah, pretty reasonable. Yeah, but there's sometimes I'm not a lot of control there, but Felicity called me an intimidating skier, because <laughs> I'm just bombing down, I've got good turns and stuff, but sometimes I'm a bit out of
0: control. <laughs> Is it scary? Sorry? Because uh, I went skiing for the first time, I've, I've, I'd skied once at a high school thing when I was like 13, and then I went skiing a couple of years ago on COVID, yeah. and we went to Coronet Peak yeah, in, in Queensland there, um, and... I, I picked it up really quick, basically. You know, mm. the basic level, the learner slope. I did like three and I, I kind of had it. Mm. And so I went to the top after about two hours and I was able to go down. Mm. I was pretty scared at
1: times. No, it's not, not scary. Sometimes if you just lose an edge... When you're going fast, I'm a little bit scared, but I'm just on the groom stuff, generally not going off piece too much because the snow's not good enough anyway at this time of year. Yep. Two beautiful days. New Zealand, you can't beat it on a yeah. cracking day. The ski field we're at called Round Hill, it's like next to a lake, and you're at the top of this, the, yeah. the run, and it's got this one that just goes around the edge of the ski field, and you're just looking straight down this beautiful lake, not a cloud in the sky. It was pretty awesome.
0: How long does it take to get from from like the, the village to the ski field?
1: Uh, well, given, given I'm uh, like... Michael Schumacher, you know, not long. <laughs> uh, no. Th- <laughs> it's more like rally driving on that road. Th-
0: 35 minutes or so. Oh, okay, so it's a pretty good place to go skiing. Yeah. yeah. So you basically get up in the morning, have a breakfast, and then. Yeah. Well, in this case, we watched the rugby
1: and then went up after that.
0: what did you do in Tekapo It's not much to do in Tekapo
1: didn't have time to do anything. We watched sport in the morning and then went up skiing. Oh, so you
0: only there for one night? Yeah, we, we got. I tell you what, you want to get,
1: avoid getting is the fish and chips in Tekapo Oh, really? It's the most expensive experience I've ever had in my really? life in terms of fish and chips. Yeah. You,
0: what, what do you, when you get fish and chips, what do you get? I like, I like a fish, a
1: hot dog, and a scoop. Yeah. yeah, that's what I would like.
0: i like a fish, hot dog, and donut, and half scoop. Didn't have any
1: donuts. We were going to order donuts. Mm. They had a simple menu, and holy shit boys. What were you it's paying? Like, how much do you think for a scoop of chips at this place? Well, fish and
0: chips are the cheapest takeaway you're going to get in New Zealand, really, yeah. Uh, yeah. other than dumplings, rice. Yeah. And so, you, you know, $2.50 for a scoop?
1: Hmm. Try to guess what you'd pay in Tekapo. Well, I, I wouldn't I, I, pay $8.00. You'd pay $7.99 for a scoop of chips. For a scoop. It's like, n- like robbery. whoa.
0: <laughs> like I get it when you're at a restaurant. Yeah. You know, but for that a scoop. It's insane.
1: We just went, <laughs> whoa, it's uh, And you've done your order, haven't for you? For Americans, fish and chips in New Zealand is just something you did as a kid, and it's just a cheer. When I was take-aways. a kid, 50 cents for half a scoop. Yeah. That's totally. what you needed. Yeah.
0: Put your hand through the bag, remember? Yeah. You rip the bag of the newspaper and you put your hand through mm-hmm. the bag, get your you warm burn hand. yourself
1: on the bloody tomato sauce that's Are you. A vinegar person? Um.
0: Sometimes nah. uh, Must have said vinegar. Never got it
1: Very good Bevan what's happening In your world Anything exciting
0: Well it was a very Disappointing sport weekend It was mm. a very disappointing John mm. The All Blacks Although I actually think Full sense of security Because mm. I don't think you want To play your tactics mm. You know like When you watch the game We kicked it all day mm. And they were, they were arguing They are trying to Fatigue the French forwards Well it looked yeah. like It worked in the first half and, and it then, didn't, they, then it didn't they In they the second half them. But I don't think you play your card right now. Yeah, you know, like we're going to be playing the the, the South Africa or Ireland mm-hmm. in the first in the first knockout game. Yeah, so you, you don't want to put your like you know like if you're going to lose that's game, this game to lose at least. Mm. Uh, uh, it's a hard team yeah, to follow. It is. It's not good being the team who you always believed in. Mm. Oh, the Warriors, the Warriors, the Warriors lost, but I was expecting that. Oh yeah, you yeah. know the Pimms is so good. They put up a fight. Yeah, and they they went they didn't drop lip, but Penrith is just class. Mm. So other than that, John, what do I do on the weekend? Do um, you know what I did? I fixed up my bike, and oh man, nice. did I say a few f words. <laughs> oh my god! So my bike, when it's, it comes to looking after bikes, nice. my bike, I do not. I've and I've never been good at looking after bikes. Mm-hmm. I remember Gordo used to give me shit because of my bike made so many creaky sounds. But I I once once spring. In mm-hmm. autumn, I would was, I was spend a few hundred bucks, get all the bits I need for my bike and then mm-hmm. spend a couple hours on my bike. Well, my tubes were pretty tired. So much so, <laughs> the the tyre was so old that the tube was popping out the side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I thought, I need to get this sorted. So I, I, I bought some new, two new tyres, new tubes, bought some new brake pads, gave it a clean and all the rest of it. Well, changing my tyres. So I changed the tyre and then it turns out the tube was in there, it was flat. Mm-hmm. So I had to do it again. And getting getting a tyre off
1: Varies a lot from wheel to wheel. Oh. It does suck when you've got a uh, a shitty my wheels. Run.
0: Like it can take me twenty minutes just to get it out. Mm. So I end up changing the front tire four times. Mm. So it took me like ninety minutes to change one tire. That is frustrating. I was getting pretty angry, mm. and you know my levers. I ended up buying two sets of levers, luckily, so I had six levers. <laughs> they were coming out flying across the room. <laughs> oh man, I was because my dad's really funny. My dad. My dad, when you go driving with my dad, he's always frustrated. Mm-hmm. Like, every light he misses, oh, for, fuck, for <laughs> the F's sake, every time. <laughs> and even if he had no chance of getting it, yeah. he's like, oh, for F's sake. I love driving with my dad because it's quite entertaining. Um, I became my dad. I was just doing the old for F's sake, like, yeah. unbelievably. But now, new brakes. Because I was riding down the hill yeah. with no brakes, it was not good. Yeah, new brakes feel really good. Riding like a dream. Yeah, I've got good pumped up tires. Mm-hmm. Some oil on my chain. Yeah,
1: you know it's clean. I can come up with stealth now. <laughs> yeah. There's no no. Like, here comes Bevan.
0: <laughs> <You> no. <know? laughs> <laughs> have you watched that program Rogue Heroes? Yeah. Did you like yeah. it? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, we're watching that right now. It's quite good. Mm. So you know, anyway, it's everything stealth. They're pretty ruthless. They were. Yeah. Anyway, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm a note. Train hard. Train smart. Kicker.